Will you please stand for the reading of God's word? This is from Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. His disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied. He told the crowd to sit sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people, and they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. After he had sent them away, he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Dalmanatha. (laughs) The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. West Bowles, good morning. Thank you for being here this morning, and those of you joining us online as well. And will you, as always, please thank our worship team and Brad and Char and Katie for bringing us the service. Uh, Katie, nice job on that, that name of that town. We, we have a son who, if he can't get a word, he just goes with, like in that case, he would have been like, uh, Denver. They went to Denver, okay? That's just this is what he does. I'm just waiting for the teacher note to come home on that. So, well, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Nathan. If I have a glow about me this morning, it's because of what Brad referenced a little bit ago. It's football season, and specifically, it's college football season, which I love, 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 but really love because a couple weeks ago, uh, you may not know this, we have a number of elders on our elder board that went to Colorado State University who played the mighty Michigan Wolverines a couple weeks ago. And so we had a, I'm not a betting man, but we had a friendly wager, so maybe that makes me a betting man. But um, we, it wasn't who would win, okay? I think short of an upset, that was, that was just, we knew who was going to win, but would, would Michigan cover the spread of 30 points? And uh, Michigan won 51 to 7. And so the bet was... If they didn't cover the spread, I was going to have to wear a CSU jersey on a Sunday of their choosing. Now they have to wear Michigan gear on a Sunday of my choosing. So probably Easter or Christmas, all right? Yes. (laughs) Elders, I'll let you know. All right. Anyhow. Well, we are, if you haven't noticed, we are jumping back in, into the book of Mark. We've been going through the book of Mark this year, and we took about the last month and a half off from that and went through life verses, and you got to hear from different voices from within the church. Uh, would you please thank David Perez? He, he closed that series last week for us. Thank you, David. But we're jumping back into going through the Gospel of Mark, and we, we, we land this morning in chapter 8. And it's an account that seems familiar because just a couple chapters ago, we read about Jesus feeding 5,000 people. 
And so here we are at this account of Jesus feeding 4,000 people. And when we last looked at it, we really looked at it from more of an individual, through an individual lens. And our takeaway was God does a lot with a little. I mean, all you have to do is look through that account and you see that God truly does a lot with a little. And we stopped and surveyed our lives and we went, gosh, what, what are all the things that if I can give him a little, he can, he can do so much with that. And so we looked through an individual lens. But this morning, this morning I want to do something a little different. And in order to get us into what that different is, I, I need to back up for a moment and talk to you about something that many of us have memories of all kinds tied to growing up. Um, vehicles. Vehicles, right? We have a ton of memories tied to vehicles. In fact, every single person in here, if you can drive, you probably remember like that one car growing up, right? Some of you were smiling, some of you were cringing. You know, there, there are just those, those vehicles that we remember growing up that maybe it was a classic. Maybe you were constantly working on it. Maybe it was just the apple of your eye and, and you could not let that thing get touched. But we all have those vehicles we remember. For me, it's actually a toss-up between three of them. The first was this car that my dad had, and if you can fathom this combination, it was a, like a 1980-something white Volkswagen Rabbit, okay? So think, think uh, you know those Mini Coopers, except way junkier than that, okay? That's what this was. Here's the thing, it had a diesel engine in it, okay? It's like putting a diesel engine on a bicycle. I mean, it's just, it's silly, but... I, I remember coming out of that car every time, and if you, if you drive a diesel, you just know, like, you get into it, you start it up, and it's like going to Gunther Tooties. You can be in there for 10 seconds, and then you come out, and you smell like it, right? It's just, it's just there, okay? And this thing had no padding in the seats, and so I'll never forget the, the big, wonderful celebratory announcement from my parents one day when they said, we, guess what we got for the, for the rabbit? And my sister and I, Kyla, were like, what? What is it? They said, well, we know the seats aren't comfortable, so we got these wood bead seat pads. But we have to, we have to run thread through some of the beads because they're used. Okay, this, is just, this was our situation at the time. Some of the, some of the wood beads were actually chipped, and so I'll never forget. We drove one July all the way from Littleton, Colorado to Phoenix, Arizona in that thing with wood beaded, chipped wood beaded seats. I woke up, I had splinters on my face. It smelled like diesel. It was terrible and I'll never forget it. All right, so that's, that's one vehicle. There was, I had a Volkswagen Fox. That thing's been discontinued. I mean, Volkswagen doesn't make that anymore. The moral of the story might be don't buy a Volkswagen. I don't know. My apologies to Volkswagen owners. But this thing, I remember we had... Uh, not long after the shootings at Columbine, we had a funeral here for Cassie Bernal, who was part of our youth group. And there had been warnings put out that it's possible that people would be trying to do things at these funerals. Um, and so different, different, um, you know, different things, just the police had put out warnings about different things. And I remember we came back from the cemetery and my Volkswagen Fox was out at the far end of this parking lot and something happened with the battery. It like welded itself to the hood of this Volkswagen and smoke is rising from this car and it is surrounded by seven Jefferson County police cars. And I saw it and I was like, I'm not walking toward my car right now. 
And so they eventually left and determined, no, it's just a piece of junk. There's no threat here, okay? <laughs> Third vehicle that many of you know and many of you have many memories with, our church buses through the years, okay? Here's the big secret. If, you ever gone on, if you've ever gone on a youth trip here with this church, you are not just paying to go somewhere. You are paying to experience a bus breakdown. Yeah, you actually pay for that. And it's so funny because I'll talk to kids, what was your favorite part of the trip? And it was none of the stuff that we prayerfully spent months and months and months and months and months and months planning. You remember a bus breakdown on the side of the road, throwing rocks at a tree. And I just went, wow, like, did, why, why do we do this? Why, why do we plan at all? Vehicles. Vehicles, we have a lot of memories tied to vehicles. But the other thing about vehicles that we remember our destinations, right? I mean, ultimately, don't we have vehicles to get us to a destination? Of course. I mean, you remember the places that you were at least attempting to go or you were going to go or that you did go. And what's true in our physical, material realm is also true in the spiritual realm. See, there, there are certain destinations in the spiritual realm that Scripture holds up as destinations and encounters for us, Right? I mean, you've heard Graham talk about him from the stage, and he's used a word called sola, the different solas, the Son of God, the Word of God, faith in him, the glory of God, the grace of God. See, these are those encounters, these are those destinations that God, throughout his word, he holds up to us. And he says, you can get there, but if, if you were to ask somebody, what do those things look like to you? I mean, or, or even think about yourself right now. What do those things look like to you? If you're anything like me, especially at the beginning of my faith journey, it was kind of like, it's kind of like trying to grab a cloud or grab fog, right? It's hard to be clear on what those things actually look like. We've said here at this church that those culminate in a mission for us. And you've, if you've been here even one Sunday, you've heard it. To connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus. But even a, even a mission like that, can't we kind of look at it and go, oh, but what does that look like? What does that destination look like here at West Bowles? And the truth is, we can say it, but how does it look? How does this church carry that out? I mean, a hundred churches could have that exact mission, and it could look a hundred different ways. And so this morning... This morning, what I want to do is I want to go through Mark chapter 8, verses 1 through, we'll actually go through 21, and I want to just highlight and point at five vehicles. Five vehicles that I can see, and some churches would call these maybe values, but I like to think of them as vehicles because they're the kind of thing that when you engage with those vehicles, you actually begin to get a picture and you get clarity on what is that destination. Those high mountaintops of Scripture that we, we think of, but they can get cloudy to us. That mission, connect with Jesus, connect with people, connect people with Jesus. And so I want us to walk through this passage together, and I want us to think about it from a church perspective. How does this church carry out that mission to get to that destination? And so, uh, if you don't have your Bible, it'll be up here on the screen, but uh, hopefully you grab sermon notes on the way in, because I want you to write down five words this morning. We're going to write them down as we go, and we're going to define what those mean here at this church and how things look here at this church. Because over and over and over, we've seen the Holy Spirit show up in some very specific ways. 
And I want to orient you to those. I want to point them out to you because sometimes we don't see them until somebody points them out. So, Mark chapter 8, verse 1. This is a character of God thing, and we'll get to the word here in just a minute, but read this with me. During those days, another large crowd gathered. Since they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. Now, there's two things I want you to see in this group of verses here. Okay, and the first thing you see, Jesus just said it. I have compassion on these people. I have compassion on these people. Now, I have news for you. This is not just a Mark chapter 8, first few verses thing. This is something you see throughout the whole counsel of God, throughout Scripture. It is a God who engages In that first word, that number one on your sermon notes, I want you to write engagement, and we'll get to what that means in a minute, but I want you to think through for a minute. We talked about one a a few weeks ago. You remember Adam and Eve, they ate the forbidden fruit, and it says, it simply says in Genesis 3, God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, he wasn't out to destroy. He wasn't out there because he was angry and he was going to pour out his wrath on them. You know what he was doing? He wanted to come talk. He wanted to engage. Do you want to know what our Heavenly Father is? He is a God who engages out of a heart of compassion. He's an engaging God out of a heart of compassion. But we get some guidance on how exactly he does it. And I just think this is, this is one of those really cool things in Scripture that we fly right by. His disciples answered. They're looking around. His disciples answered. But where in this remote place can anyone Get enough bread to feed them. Do you feel like that sometimes? I mean, you just look at Monday, and it's like, oh, man, where where can I offer anybody anything in light of it being Monday and where we are and all that's going on? You know, we talk about coming out of Sunday, and sometimes Monday's enough to just cause us to go, where are we going to get anything? And listen to what Jesus says. How many loaves do you have? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked, seven, they replied. See, this isn't just a God who engages of his own accord. You know, what he, you know what he does? He's a God who engages, but he uses our resources, which are really his resources, right? That he gave to us. See, here at West Bowles, one of the things that you will discover if you look around and you hang around long enough is that we're about engagement here. We engage people with Jesus' heart and our resources. That's that number one on your sermon notes. We engage people with Jesus' heart and our resources. Do you want to know what you just saw on the stage here a little bit ago? Jan, Amy, Kay, Debbie, Sandy. The heart of God using their resources. And that could be physical resources, that could be internal resources, the spiritual resources he's given us. But when you get that thing that's like that nudge inside, and you go, oh, maybe I should, maybe I could help out with, maybe I could serve in, maybe I could step into, a lot of times we dismiss it. It's not indigestion, okay? It's not. It's a God who wants to engage. And so with a heart of compassion, he looks at you and he looks at me and he taps us on the shoulder and he woos us. He says, look, I want to use you. I want to nudge you. 
I want to give you my heart. I want to use your resources to do it. As you continue to, to look around at this passage, it's interesting. He doesn't say, do you have any loaves? He says, how many? How many do you have? We're a church that ought to constantly take stock of, take inventory of. What are our loaves? How many do we have? I mean, it's not a, it's not a contest to who, who stores up the most. It's to say, hey, it's available. God, you can use it. You can have it. In other words, this is a church where we serve. I know some churches, they're known for different things. They're known for their preaching. They're known for their music. They're known for their production. They're known for their events. Do you know what I believe through the years the people of West Bowles have been known for, among other things? Hearts to serve. Hearts to serve. And that, all you have to do is look at the very last night of Jesus' life to know that that is one of the things that he says, you do that, you do that, and people are going to see me. So we engage. We engage people with Jesus' heart, our resources. Next piece as we walk through. And this is really a, I, what I believe a long-standing thing at West Bulls as well that we've long been known for. But let me, let's arrive at it as we read this passage. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. When he had taken the seven loaves and given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. And they did so. They had a few small fish as well. He gave thanks for them also and told the disciples to distribute them. You want to know what's so interesting throughout the word of God that I believe this church is just latched onto because the spirit just illuminates it is the people of God are always at a table together, right? I mean, how many times do you see Jesus? He's at a table eating with people. You know, you you go into the Old Testament, right? One of my favorite accounts is King David looking for Mephibosheth, this guy who thought he was a dead dog. He didn't think highly of himself. You know what King David said? He said, no, you come to my table. You will always eat at my table. Now, here's here's what I'm getting at here. (laughs) Who eats at a table together? Who hopefully eats at tables together? Families do. Families do. That second word I want you to write down, family. And we'll get to what we specifically mean here in a moment on that. But families eat together. And it's interesting because as you look at who Jesus is handing the bread to, it's to who? Is he giving it directly to the people? No, he's giving it to his disciples. And and as I read that, I instantly thought of that time that Jesus, he looked around, he said, look, it's whoever does the will of my Father in heaven. Whoever does the will of God, those are my family. Those are my family. See, we here at West Bowles, we're a family. And that's hard to remember, isn't it? Because we get this individualistic focus, especially in American Christianity. We've talked about this a little bit before. We can come to church and we can get so focused on what am I getting out of it and how does it feel to me and and how is it, you know, what do I like and what do I not like? And yet over and over and over and over, we see the family of God. You look at the language of Paul, brothers and sisters. He talks about his sons in the Lord. God refers to us as his children. See, there's a family dynamic going on. And so what do we mean by family here at the church? Our one another's reveal Jesus to others. Our one another's 
reveal Jesus to others. We have some friends that uh, they go to another church, and so when I'm done guilt-tripping them for not coming to this church, um, well, that's only kind of true, but anyway, we're, we're talking to them one day, and uh, they, they just talked about how they were having a severe issue with somebody in their church and how mad they were. And I know that never happens here in this church, ever, ever, ever. But as they were talking about it, it was an opportunity to say, look, I get it. I have, I have been in your shoes. I'm sure it's not the last time I will be in those shoes. But have you talked to them? See, because the thing that we got to remember about the things that Jesus said in Scripture, so many of them involve another person. See, we forget about the one another's, and oftentimes we think, my faith would be great if it wasn't for other people. It would be incredible, right? And yet there's that famous quote, and the name is escaping me right now, no man is an island. Right? If God wanted us all to live just by ourselves, he, he's perfectly capable of creating a bunch of islands where we don't have to interact with anybody. But as you go through, especially the New Testament, what Jesus had to say and what Paul had to say, it's the one another's. How do we interact with one another? We see one another as God's children. We honor one another. We forgive one another. We bear with one another. We love one another. And what did Jesus say? By this, the world will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. See, and so people watch. People watch the way the people in the church do the one another's. And what the world really tunes into is when the people in the church don't really live out the one another's, don't they? Because that's all they need to go, nah, not for me. I mean, if that's how it looks, not for me. What's behind all this kind of thing? And so we have the vehicle of engagement, the vehicle of family. Let me take you to another one here. And it comes up pretty quick. And I believe it's a misunderstanding that comes up from time to time, especially in the global church, verse 8 and 9. The people ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 were present. Now, something happened between verse 7 and verse 8. You know what happened? Everything grew. Everything grew. I mean, the bread. They had seven loaves of bread for 4,000 people. And the, the most captivating piece of this is the people ate and were satisfied. I, do, I just want you to think about seven loaves of French bread right now and 4,000 people. And we're all getting about that much, right? Would that satisfy any of us? No. Something happened. Something happened between verse 7 and verse 8. Now, here's the interesting thing. You see that part where it says, do we have no uh, verse? We have no screens? I just tuned in. Okay. Welcome to West Bowls. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Let me read this to you again. Thanks for telling me. All right. <laughs> Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls. Now, that word basketfuls, if you were to go look up that word in the Greek, you know where else you would find it? Because I think, see, we picture baskets and we picture like, you know, little kids' Easter baskets or like a little gift basket. That word basketfuls also appears in Acts chapter 9, verse 25. You know what's going on in Acts chapter 9, verse 25? So the, the, the man we've known as Saul, who's breathing, breathing out murderous threats toward Jesus' disciples and his followers, 
He's converted. Jesus says, look, I'm going to use you whether you like it or not, okay? Just, he's, he's, it's this powerful conversion. And the Jews are now out to kill him. They want to get rid of him. And so some of Paul's new friends and new companions, it says they lowered him over a wall in a basket. And it's the exact same word as the basketfuls we see here. So this is not just like your little basket, okay, on Easter or your little gift basket. This is a person-sized basket. So seven loaves fed 4,000 people, and then they picked up basketful after basketful of fragments of bread. Something grew, didn't it? And my favorite part of all this is what's not here. It doesn't say how it grew. See, this is the misunderstanding I think we get in church a lot. We think that growth is up to us, don't we? Don't we often do this where we think, well, if I could just, if we just follow a formula, if we could just manufacture it, then it would grow. No. You know what we, you know what we mean here at West Bowles when we talk about growth? God gives the growth. God gives the growth. We cultivate the connection. We've got screens back. Okay. If it goes out again, tell me this time. Thank you. All right. <laughs> All right. Do you want to know why the disciples experienced the growth? It wasn't because of their amazing skill. It wasn't because of their ability. It wasn't because of anything other than they were followers of Jesus. That's why they experienced the growth. Do you want to know when and how you and I experience growth? By keeping and cultivating the connection with Jesus. Not manufacturing anything, not making it go, God does that part. We get to cultivate, excuse me, cultivate the connection. And so here at this church, we have a different, we have a different way of growth. We have a different way of thinking about growth. You know, Paul is constantly talking about maturing. You want to know what maturity looks like? You abide. It's that thing Jesus said, abide in me. Abide, just remain connected to the vine. We abide faithfully. We celebrate fruit, we leave a legacy. We abide faithfully, we celebrate fruit, we leave a legacy. A a couple weeks ago, I mentioned this church in the last month has lost three people that have been connected to and and at times uh, in different ways part of this congregation. And in each of those lives, at each of their services, you know what was so interesting? I went, there's a legacy. There's a legacy. There's a legacy for all to see. That's maturity. That's Christian maturity. That's growing up in Christ. Well, the next one is the fourth of the five words. Really, what what we see here in Mark chapter 8 is like an opposite of it. I believe Mark saw fit to show us really the opposite of what this one looks like. Let's let's read it here, verses 9 and 10. After he had sent them away, this is the whole crowd, Jesus has sent the 4,000 away, He got into the boat with his disciples and went to the region of Denver. Let's go with Denver. Dalmanutha, all right? (laughs) Just go with Denver, Katie, all right? Verse 11, the Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. Now you're reading this and you're thinking, really? You guys want a sign right now? did Did you not just see what just happened? And they hadn't seen it. 
They hadn't seen it. You want to know why? Because they weren't in proximity there. Not physically, but as you read about the Pharisees and their encounters with Jesus, they weren't close to him at the heart level either. The Pharisees missed it. Verses 12 and 13, he sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. That fourth word is the word health. Health. And, and I believe one of the things we get to see here that Mark highlights for us is how unhealthy we can get when we're not in Jesus' proximity. When we're not near him, whether it's physically, it's at the heart level for the Pharisees, right? For any of us, when we're not near to Jesus, it's an unhealthy thing, isn't it? This always, always, always gets humanity in trouble. Getting outside God's ways, God's words, God's boundaries, God's laws. Remember the Tower of Babel? Remember humanity, they like looked at God and they went, yeah, we want that glory. And so they decide they're going to build this huge tower, and God confused all of it. I mean, you just go through Scripture in account after account after account. When people got outside of God's three places, provision, outside his boundaries, and outside his glory, they got unhealthy. And so what does health look like here? Well, we live from God's provision, within his boundaries, for his glory. Why do we do that? Because those are the places that we begin to see the activity of God, if we'll live in those places. But a lot of times we want to, we want to see the glory, but we go about it in an illegitimate way, don't we? Absolutely. It was so fun to sit with our staff a couple weeks ago, and also, uh, and then, and then a, was it a week ago? The young adults group from here at the church came over to our house and it was interesting to have, I had a similar discussion with both the staff and our young adults group, and I was asking them, what are the, what are the tensions that you live with? I mean, what are the, as you walk through your week, you know, you come out of church on Sunday, and as you go through your week, what are the tensions that you see in the culture around you? And here's, I mean, you're not going to see the, the specifics, but this was their list, and we could have kept going. So then the next question, just to like really, really take it downhill more, I said, what are the burdens that you carry? Right? And by this point, I'm, I'm just like trying to stop anybody who's leaving the room, you know, because it's just, it, it begins to feel heavy, right? When we think about the tensions that we have and the burdens that we carry, and so they, they came up with a list. And then we got to something else. Where do you notice grace in your life? Where do you notice the grace of God in your life? And in both conversations, you know what was so interesting? You could feel it. You could feel it. When people began talking about the grace of God in their lives, reconciled relationships, influences losing their power, reconnecting with people, God's creation, God's provision, community of believers, gratitude, peace in the midst of storms, the cross, a perspective change, a change, a shift in gears. You know what happened? Everything got lighter. See, one of the things that happens is if, if we're not paying attention to the activity of God in our lives and where grace shows up, you know what you walk through the week with? 
tensions and burdens, intentions and burdens, intentions and burdens. But when you do this, when you begin to take account of God's grace in your life, you know what happens? You begin to see the activity of God all over the place. This is why at this church and in this passage and all through scripture, we live from his provision within his boundaries for his glory because it puts you, it gives you a front row seat to the character and the activity of God. That's what we mean when we talk about health here at the church. And finally, one more, one more. And I believe this, uh, when you read what Mark gives us here, it's really a choice that Jesus is setting before the disciples, but I believe he's setting before us as a church as well. Let me read, let me read this uh, section of verses. Verse 14, the disciples had forgotten to bring bread. Remember, they get in the boat. They'd forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now, when you encounter yeast in Scripture, it's usually in reference, maybe always in reference, to the spread of evil. Be careful. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Verse 16, they discussed this with one another and said, it's because we have no bread. We forgot the bread. And I'd like to think Jesus replied, yeah, morons, that's, that's exactly it. But I... That, that's what I would have said, okay? That's what I say as I read it. That's not what Jesus said. He's far more gracious than I am. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? And then he reminds them, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, verse 21, do you still not understand? And for us reading it, sometimes it's like, uh, I'm not sure I understand right now, Jesus, right? <laughs> I mean, you got to sit with it for a minute. And I want to take you back to his statement, the yeast of the Pharisees and the Herod and Herod. What were they constantly up to? They were constantly coming after Jesus. They were constantly coming after him, but their hearts were full of unbelief. They, they, would, they would have God talk. They could reference passages. They could point back at scripture. They could point all that stuff out. But at the heart level, they were unbelieving people. And, and if I'm Jesus, I mean, this is, this is if I'm in his sandals, right? I'd be thinking, you guys are the ones who are going to take this thing. Like, my time's coming. It's limited here on earth. Jesus is, is likely thinking, you guys are going to take this message. You've got to understand this. To help us understand, let me, let me point you back to something. Let's just do a little quick math. Verse 19, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, okay, so how many people were fed per, per loaf? thousand. All right, thank you. All right, and then in this instance, seven loaves, 4,000 people. You know how many people that is per loaf? 571.43. I did that on a calc. I did that in my mind just now. No, I did that on a calculator before this. So think about this. 
They just watched Jesus feed an average of, if you're taking this specifically, 571.43 people per loaf, and they're worried that they have a loaf. How many disciples are sitting in that boat? Probably about 12. You watched him feed a crowd, 571 people per loaf, and 12 of you are worried about one loaf. In other words, it's not just about the material loaf right here. It's the belief that this is a Savior who does this over and over and over. And disciples, if all you're going to do is worry and think about yourselves, you know what you're going to miss out on? It's the fifth word I want you to write down, reach. Reach. These are the guys. These are the guys that were going to carry this. And so they had to know. And you and I have to know that what we mean by reach here at this church is we're intentional about bringing an extraordinary God to ordinary opportunities. See, that's not how we think, is it? You and I, you know what we like to look for? The extraordinary opportunity, right? The perfect time, the perfect person, the perfect circumstances, the perfect place to be, the perfect whatever. And we try to, make, we try to look for the extraordinary things and Jesus, over and over and over, and God throughout Scripture, you know where you see him? Right there in the midst of very ordinary circumstances. This is why I love to highlight, and we'll get to the mountaintops in a couple, week here, a couple weeks here, but they're in the desert, and they're in captivity, and they're in the prison, and they're in the pit, and they're walking down a hot, dry, dusty road, and it it's just, it's just seems so mundane and just so difficult at times, and yet this extraordinary God shows up, and he shows up, and he shows up. And so Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says, you're going to have reach, but you got to stop this, this focus. And I sit here, and I think, oh, man. How many times have I been there, but let us not as a church get there, where we get so focused on ourselves that we lose our reach. If a new face walked into the foyer this morning, that is not just a new face. That is not somebody that we turn and we think, oh, somebody else will greet them. No, we greet them. That is not just a a surface-level conversation or conversations you're going to have this week. It is an opportunity to share the gospel and the love of Jesus with people. I was talking to Kurt Love yesterday. He shared this incredible quote, and I forgot who it was by. I'm forgetting who the quotes are by this morning. So let's go with Mark Twain, all right? Everybody, everybody credits Mark Twain with every quote when they can't think of it. He said, in the course of your lifetime, about a million people will come and go, as in die. Is it not worth sharing the gospel with one of them? See, a lot of times, you know what I think we do? Is we think somebody else will do it. Somebody else will. It's not just another conversation. It is one you pray for and you say, God, give me the opportunity. Open that door. Give me the words. It's not just a new face. It's not just another ministry. It's not just another church. It is an opportunity to bring an extraordinary God into the ordinary situations. And once in a while, you do get those extraordinary situations. And when you get it, be so grateful. But look with new eyes and prayerfully at the ordinary situations. You want to know the vehicles that drive our mission? It's engagement, it's family, it's growth, it's health, it's reach. 
And when you get there, something incredible happens. And I'll finish with this. There's one more vehicle I want to tell you about, literal vehicle. Growing up, uh, my sister and I went to down here at uh, it's Wadsworth and Chatfield, Little People's Landing. You know that daycare center? No jokes, please. All right, Little People's Landing. All right, so... They had these vans, okay? And they were like these 1980s vans. You know, 1980s vans. I mean, we, we got cool vans now these days. But back in the 1980s, you remember the vinyl seats? Okay, the vinyl seats with the metal seat belts. And you know those daycare vans, they just sat in the sun all day. So we'd get in those things after school. All my friends would like be laughing at me as I got into it. And it's the kind of seat that like, when it's sat in the sun all day, you know, it burns you and you, gotta, you can hear your skin peeling off of it when you get out. So they had these vans that were just awful and I just really disliked getting into them. But we would go there in the summer as well and I will never forget the one field trip every single year I loved. We would go in those vehicles, in the vans, to, and if you've been around Denver for a while, you remember this, remember the Wonder Bread factory? Is near, uh, I believe it was near Denver Coliseum. Okay, so the Wonder Bread Factory. And what would happen is we'd go on a tour of the Wonder Bread Factory, and at the end of the day, you know what they'd give you? They'd give you a giant loaf of bread. Now, for those of you that are gluten-free, this is a nightmare, but we didn't have that back in the 80s, okay? I mean, it wasn't a thing yet, you know? If you just, if you felt discomfort, it was just, it couldn't have been the bread, Okay. And so we would get back to this daycare center, and every kid is just like loaves of bread. And, you know, I never really connected the dots till years later. Thank you, Lord, for those vehicles. You know, I mean, the seatbelt burned my leg, and so did the seat, and I didn't feel like I looked cool riding in it. But you know what? Those are the vehicles that put me and everybody there with me literally with loaves of bread in our hands. And what's true in our physical realm is true in the spiritual realm as well. And it's true throughout Scripture. And it's true at this church. Engagement, family, growth, health, and reach. You engage with those vehicles. And not only, not only will you find yourself part of an incredible mission, and part of the incredible, the, the glory of God, the grace of God, the word of God, the life of faith in the Son of God. But you will give that gift to other people as well. And so as the worship team comes back up, let me close in prayer. Thank you for bearing with us as we went a little longer today. Heavenly Father, Lord, there, there are just moments uh, that you give us, and I'm noticing it's more frequent the longer I live that your word is just truly, it is truly what sustains us and nourishes us. You had it exactly right, and we shouldn't be surprised when you said man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so, Heavenly Father, put us in this passage this week. Put us in this passage with new eyes. I mean, it seems so familiar for those who grew up in the church, but Lord, let us look with new eyes at how you are, you are just nudging us and stirring us with your word to step into the world around us in the lives of those that you put before us. Lord, let us notice your grace each and every single day. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.